Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. Uh, it's Carolyn April here, looking for my friend Seth Robinson out there. Seth? Hey, here I am. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing well. That's good to hear. Yeah, that feels like um, kind of the home stretch here, the home stretch of the school year. You know, there's a couple months. You you go longer than we do, but you know, we've got a couple months left here. You know, finish out April and then May, and then that's it. Um, and then busy couple months for you and I, both traveling and speaking and doing webinars. So the next two months feels like a stretch run, and then we'll be into the summer. Yeah, and then we'll be into Channel Con toward the the tail end of the summer. It's going to be busy, but yeah, you're right. Um, Spring is here. It's raining. It's typical April weather, but um, yeah, my kids, uh, well, my one kid who's in high school does go longer. The schools here go until late June, but my older daughter who's um, finishing her first year in college, she's going to be home in just a couple of weeks, May, middle of May, so That'll be fun. Haven't had her in the house in a while, so um, yeah. What we'll is she thinking for the summer? Is she gonna be hanging around? She's a little bit? job hunting. She's mm-hmm. job hunting. She's possibly um, her school uh, offers online courses over the summer. I'm kind of encouraging her to maybe take one or two. You know, what the heck? Get some other credits out of the way. Yeah. Um, you could do it on your own time since it's an online thing, so she can do them whenever. It's not going to interfere with a, a job schedule or whatever she has. Maybe she could just work on it when she does have free time so hopefully she'll uh hopefully she'll go for that I'm trying to get her out of school faster than four years if possible <laughs> get her into adult life yeah uh-huh, yes exactly <laughs> we'll like usher into her, her into, she's in the uh you know straddling ch- childhood and adulthood right now and that's um it's a kind of semi-unpleasant phase if yeah. you're the parents <laughs> mm. oh. you'll be there soon enough soon enough indeed so today, what shall we talk about? I know you have a brand new study. Um, you're the ne- you're next up, I guess, on our little research team with a study out, and I think next week are we coming out with it on security? Yeah, I'm hoping so. Uh, I think we're definitely doing the press release, uh, and then hopefully it's live on our website uh, for everyone to see next week also. Uh, but it's an annual take on security. Uh, we We do this almost every year. We've skipped maybe one or two, but... We tried this year to dive a little bit deeper into skills. I think as the focus on security is growing, everyone is starting to talk about the different security skills that they need. Uh, And so tried to dive into that a little bit deeper. Obviously, we focus quite a bit on security skills on the certification side of the house. We've got three different security certifications there, Security Plus, which is kind of the beginning one, but it's meant for someone that's been in IT for a while. And then uh, the new one is Security Analyst Plus, and then uh, CompTIA Advanced Security Practitioner. So just kind of building up to really advanced security skills there. And I think the first thing that I would point out um, that I we found in the study, but I've also found to be true over the past year or so, is this idea that there are all these security skills that people want. And I think that there's some perception that those skills can just be built from scratch. That if you've got someone that's interested in technology, you can start teaching them security skills. But I think what a lot of companies are finding, what a lot of organizations are finding, and what we are seeing is that you need to have a technology foundation. So like I said, even that security plus certification that we have, it's not an entry-level cert in the way of someone would come just as a blank slate. Yeah, uh, and, and they can just start learning security. We expect them to have 
some skills in networking, some skills in server administration. They've been in IT for a while. Uh, and, and I think that that's one thing that uh, is really going to start to, to come to light over the next few years that we can't just teach security skills and, and we can't really just teach data skills or, or a lot of other skills either. We have to focus on this technology foundation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's sort of um, how it is in almost any industry or any skills area. It's not like you can teach somebody to be a surgeon who hasn't, you know, learned about anatomy and has a medical background first. So, you know, it's definitely, I would consider it more of a specialty on top of the basics and a foundation of whatever uh, whatever focus area that we're talking about. But I was curious, when you talk about skills, um, you know, security issues are, have evolved. They don't go away and they evolve into different types of threats and different types of um, vulnerabilities. Is there a particular type of skill, security skill today that maybe didn't exist a couple of years ago or five years ago and is now like the hot skill that you need to have? Well, I, I think the reason that people might view security as, as, as some skills that you can build from the ground up is the fact that security is kind of becoming its own domain. So at really large enterprises, you'll see a CISO, right, a chief information security officer, and that person has a team and they're completely focused on security. And so it's kind of its own discipline, which which makes it seem maybe like it's not a specialty built on top of technology. But the reason that it's becoming its own discipline is that it's expanding beyond the technology. Uh, so there's certainly still a technology component uh, but then we've said for the past few years that as, alongside that technology component, you've got process components and you've got educational components um, because you've got a workforce trying to use technology that maybe isn't aware of the best security behavior or the best way to secure their devices or manage their passwords, things like that. So those three areas, I think, are combining to form this modern security domain and I would say the technology is the most understood, uh, and so I think there's the most strength in technology. But with that said, some of the, the newer aspects of, of technology aren't as well understood. So I think people have tended to build a secure perimeter, focus on their firewall, setting the rules for their firewall, making sure that the, the traffic that's coming in isn't bringing anything bad with it. They focus on antivirus for endpoint devices. Now they have to start thinking about different layers of security, and they have to think about uh, intrusion detection because people are finding that you, you can't just stop everything from coming in. So things, mm. something's going to get in. How quickly can you find it? How quickly can you respond? And I would say uh, on the, the technical side of security, that is probably the big shift, is becoming proactive about it, using these layers to detect something and understanding as, as the layers might notify you about something, what to do about it. In general, that's the, the, the big idea. And then there are several different technology tools that can help with that, like intrusion detection or data loss prevention or identity and access management. It sounds like, you know, the days of thinking you can just build a giant solid wall around your organization, and that's going to be um, all that you need to keep things out is just simply not the reality anymore. Right. If it ever were. The other thing that I thought was interesting in terms of skills is you you know you've written about security. I've read your reports over the years, and the the thing that the thing that seems to be the one of the biggest areas of vulnerability is human error. Um, whether it's malicious and and typically it's not. It's usually just dumb users, I guess. Um, you know, not understanding. The, the things, some of the things that they're doing with their machines or their software uh, potentially um, puts 
the organization or their own personal devices at risk. And I wonder, along with the different skills that people are getting up to speed on with respect to security, if some of them aren't, you know, some psychological type skills. So working on how you get inside the head of users, and I know you mentioned training, um, but and so I, I would say this is more of a soft skill than a hard skill, but I'm curious if that's something that you think some of these security experts are starting to explore is how to uh, influence user behavior and human behavior. I think so. I, I think that if if the biggest finding or the biggest takeaway is that security skills require a technology foundation, probably the second biggest finding is that security skills are not just for the IT team. They're not just for technologists or, or the group that might be sitting inside of a, a security function. It's really a top to bottom raising awareness throughout the organization and raising literacy. And the the people that that's going to fall to, I think will still be the IT team or the technologists, the one that the ones that understand the the technology, they understand the threats that are out there. And you're right, they have to start understanding how can we effectively train here um, because it's becoming, such a critical part of the organization's success and ongoing health. Um, so they need to make sure that they are measuring uh, the, the literacy or the awareness of security issues within their workforce, and then they're applying appropriate training, whatever that might be, and there are lots of different forms out there and lots of different ways to do it. Um, but then they're, they're continuing to measure that and they're continuing to stay on top of it. And I think that's another huge shift for a lot of companies is even if they're doing security training today, it's probably new employee orientation or it's maybe a one-time thing like please review our security policy and sign off on it. And it needs to become a lot more measurable, a lot more interactive, maybe job specific. But it's it's becoming, I think, one of the biggest financial risks for a company. And so there have to be some steps taken in order to mitigate that risk. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I got to think that um, the human aspect of this is the trickiest one, you know, trickiest lever to control. Um, but you know, we're not going to see security issues going away anytime soon. They just uh, they'll they'll pop up when you it's like whack a mole, I guess, right? Right. <laughs> you can get yeah, so you can get rid of them in one area and they pop up in another. So uh, I don't see uh, our industry um, being able to to say, oh, okay, we're all done with this uh, anytime soon, if ever. So it's it's a very interesting topic. I'm looking forward to reading your whole study. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we were saying at the beginning of the year that we think it's probably likely that security issues and breaches will continue to get worse before we start to turn a corner. And again, I don't think we'll ever get there. We won't arrive at a solution. But with the the greater degree of connectivity that we have with you know IoT things coming online, th- there's a lot of potential disaster out there. Uh, and I, I think that eventually companies are going to start spending a little bit more money. I I would say today, especially on the SMB side, a company might say, here's the amount, here's here's like the percentage of my annual budget that I'm going to allocate to security. And in a lot of cases, that money is dedicated to a firewall, right? Trying to build that outdated secure perimeter. They still need that. They need other things. And so that percentage is going to have to grow. Uh, and, And in, you know, five, 10 years, we might say that the percentage of, of your annual income that you would spend on security is greater than it was before. And that's just the way of things. Like that's living in this digital society and digital economy. Mm-hmm. It is. And I'll just give one nod out there to, you know, the channel opportunity here. Uh, obviously, security 
is a piece of everything. So no matter what your particular specialty area is as a solution provider or or an MSP, you have to have security as a consideration in what you're selling and what you're implementing. But I think uh, it's also an area to become niche, you know, niche in and and gain um, very specific skills around security. And I think that among some of the other emerging areas are going to be a big big growth uh, spot for, for channel companies that take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, plenty of opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that should be out next week. Um, and people can go to comptia.org. It's going to be available to all registered users. So we encourage people to check it out. Yes, definitely check it out. So uh, another big thing that happened this past week was Facebook had their uh, big F8 developer conference. And there were a lot of things getting written about that. And then kind of on the side, you had sort of a a humorous anecdote uh, about Amazon. And I was thinking about, you know, just both these companies and how large they're getting and how viewed in a certain way they might be a monopoly. But the question is, what exactly are they a monopoly of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's not like when you started to think about monopolies like back in the 90s when uh, Microsoft was in trouble with the DOJ over Windows and over the browser. And you could you could wrap your head around that being a potential monopoly and what the issues were there. But these new, these new types of companies like Amazon and Facebook, figuring out what they do is one big piece of the puzzle. And then wondering if they are a monopoly. They certainly are uh, leaders and they are certainly putting other companies out of business. I'll speak for Amazon. I'll tell my funny story here in a second. But um, but you're right. It's hard to define, you know, what do we mean by monopoly here uh, when, as it applies to these types of companies? So let me share this funny one because it's funny. <laughs> I think so. So all right, I live in a little rural town in New Hampshire and we do not have uh, t- town trash pickup. We have to haul our own trash and our own recycling Every Saturday, it's a very social activity, and you see all your friends there at the town dump, as it's affectionately called. And so I always have a lot of corrugated cardboard boxes, and so I, for years, been taking them to the dump, and you don't have to flatten them. And I just, one of my pet peeves is ever having to tear them open and flatten all your boxes. Uh, You know, after Christmas morning, I mean, that's a nightmare, and just envision doing that on a semi-regular basis. So they don't make us flatten the boxes. Because there's plenty of room in this giant bin that everybody throws them in. So I go to the dump this past Saturday, and I've got it happens to be the Saturday that I've loaded up a lot of boxes. And I get there, and there's this giant sign on the bin that says, New policy. Uh, we're now required to flatten all, all the boxes. Mm. So I'm, I'm, yeah, big groan, sigh. And then below it, the funny part is then below that sign is another big sign that says, just plaintively, Amazon is winning, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently there are so many people who are buying online now as opposed to at the stores and these bo- boxes are being delivered left and right to their homes that the bins now can't accommodate without us flattening them. So I have Amazon I have Amazon to thank for that apparently, but um, they are winning. I, and, I, and I think that goes to what you're, you're bringing up here is, is are they becoming a monopoly? I mean, I just jotted down some of the 
businesses they're in. You know, no one even thinks about Amazon and books anymore, if you think about it. I mean, they're in electronics. They are the Washington Post, so they're in media. Uh, they're doing their own shipping nowadays. They're getting into brick-and-mortar stores. They're doing talking about all the drone stuff. I mean, and at the same time, you read a headline, you know, each and every day, you know, Macy's is closing department stores left and right, and the local one here closed. You know, Sears, obviously. Uh, there was an article in... Uh, it was either the Journal or the New York Times this week about Neiman Marcus, which is a very high-end um, brick-and-mortar retailer, and they're struggling right now. And you would think that they would be somewhat immune because they have they cater to a certain customer. Uh, and and no, they're they're shuttering stores as well now, and uh, they're in trouble. So you know what does this mean? I mean, are we seeing uh, these mega conglomerates like an Amazon um, becoming monopolies and, and does anyone step in to stop it? Does it become an antitrust thing at some point? You, you know, it's hard for me to say. And Facebook even befuddles me even more. Yeah, I, I view both of them a little differently. And I was actually about to ask you, why do you have so much corrugated cardboard? And then I thought, well, I, I tend to have quite a bit too, I think, because it's all coming, not necessarily from Amazon, but we do a lot of online shopping from a few different places. And and yeah, we've got all these boxes, and I have to flatten mine to put them in my little bin out by the the road. Um, so I've been dealing with that horrible pain for a long time now. But uh, yeah, we. What exactly is Amazon controlling? What exactly is Facebook controlling? I I think in both of these, what they have a monopoly on, what they're doing the best at is this consumer experience, this end user experience. But I, I think that that's um, a little more limited than having a monopoly on a supply chain or on a specific good that you're uh, producing and then having monopolistic practices like some of the ones that you mentioned or th that some of the companies that you mentioned kind of fell afoul of. And, and so what exactly does it mean? And I think it means something a little different for both of them. Amazon kind of has this, this market, is growing this stranglehold on a lot of I don't know, the, the commodities that we use um, and, and even the content that they're producing is is somewhat commoditized. But I think where they they can't quite reach is the, the real niche areas. I know that there have been stories that I've read that, yes, they when they were in books, you know, they were putting Barnes and Noble and Borders out of business. And now that they're expanding into other things, they're putting some of these other kind of mass retailers out of business. But it's actually still leaving room for the real small places, the ones that you want to be there because mm -hmm. they're part of your community. You want to go have an experience. You can't replicate that online. And, and so I think that leaves you know some room in, in Amazon's uh, dominance for some opportunity, you know, for some innovation, maybe in the in the small areas, Facebook I see a little differently. They've got this, you know, consumer experience or user experience monopoly, um, but it's in this social aspect. And I feel like over the past year or so, looking at social media, looking at social networks, the question is kind of starting to rise: of what's the utility here? you know, versus entertainment value. And, and what's what does it actually mean, you know, for Facebook to have the largest network? Do, does that really make you or I feel like we're replicating real life when we go onto Facebook? And more and more, it almost seems like it's not. And almost the bigger they get and the more that they try to scale, it's like, well, why would I go to Facebook? Because it's 
it's so much of everything. I need to actually get information. I need to get information from a source that I can trust. I need to communicate with a small group of people uh, on a very defined topic. You know, th- those aren't mm-hmm. things that I-, I think Facebook is great at as it continues to scale out. Uh, and so having that stranglehold because they've got the largest network, I think it gives them some power, but I think it also leaves them open and maybe more vulnerable. I, I wouldn't exactly call Amazon vulnerable because of some of their um, the open spaces that they leave, but I, I think Facebook maybe is, and maybe social media in general is is a little bit more fragile than we have thought that it, it would be over the past five years or so. No, no, I agree. I think on both counts that um, there's there's some there will be and there is already some fatigue around too much. And there, uh, another article I read. It's funny that you what, this dovetails exactly what you just said. An article I read this week about how the real retailers that are going to suffer are the suburban malls, the Macy's, the standalone department stores. But that actually, Amazon's success is not going to. It may actually be a boon to uh, small town main streets. And you know, local SMB stores, um, single owner stores who cater to a very specific clientele or cater or sell a very specific type of product, and people long for that. And they're gonna if they they know that they need one thing and one thing only, they're gonna go and frequent that store on Main Street as opposed to trying to sift through the Amazon maze to get there. And I think that also speaks to social media and Facebook. And Facebook is just there's just so much. Most of it unusable or what I'm not interested in. And so if you really need, if there's something that you're actually actively looking for, um, I think that we're going to start to see the rise of much more niche and specified, special, specialized, excuse me, um, places for people to go. And that customer experience um, will be very different than the one that you get when it's the fire hose that you're getting from Facebook or from Amazon. Right. Yeah. I, I think that those are great to use when you have uh, kind of a broad need, right? If you want to sort of jump into Facebook and see a news stream and kind of just get a feel of a lot of different things that are going on, it's great for that. Uh, if you want something very specific, you know, maybe not so much. Same, same with Amazon. Like another thing that I've thought about with Amazon is as convenient as it is, and if I, if I don't want to leave the house, then that's great. But if I want something right now, the fastest way is still to go to the store, right? I mean, as sure. fast as they've gotten with their shipping, um, it's still faster to just you know get up and go to the store. And sometimes the you know the price really isn't even any different. And and then I've got it. Um, mm-hmm. And and so that, that those are just some some things that I think uh, offer areas of opportunity. Again, I think that these companies are going to continue to grow. Um, their their sheer size, I think, is something that makes people nervous. But exactly what impact they're having and, and, and what kind of uh, threat they are to uh, different pieces, I, I think is something that could be explored quite a bit more. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I'm very interested in what goes on in the, um, in the retail space and, and how Amazon impacts that. Uh, but I do think a lot of what Amazon's success is all about is the customer experience, how you started this off. And, you know, I read a, a quote from Jeff Bezos um, who said basically he knows that they provide uh, excellent 
premier customer experience. But he he said anyone who figures out how to do it better, we know we we know we're going to be bumped off the you know the top of the hill immediately. And he said it with you know no snark, nothing. He's dead set. He means it. It's all about whether you can do something better from a customer experience perspective. So you know they may we may see someone come come along and do it better. Uh, but it, but it is interesting, and I do think the sheer size and influence of both of these companies and those like them can be a bit daunting. But we can always opt out. That's the other thing. We always have. We we do all have the uh, the uh, ability to say I don't. I'm not going to participate in this. Um, so uh, it's not like your cable company. That's a monopoly. If you really want to talk to me about that, if you want cable TV, you've got one option in most regions, and that's that's all you can go with. And, uh, you're stuck. Um, at least with uh, Amazon or with Facebook, if you you don't have to use Facebook if you don't want, and you de- certainly don't need to buy from Amazon. But uh, it's a, it's going to be. It's been an interesting um, thing to watch. How how we buy things in this country and how we consume information and how we communicate with one another has changed so dramatically in the, just in the last 10 years. That's a great point about uh, the choice to opt out and I think is another huge thing that makes them different from a monopoly of the past or even monopolies of, of today, like you kind of mentioned. And, and I think that that's part of becoming a a citizen in this new digital economy. So we just talked about with security, companies in the digital economy may have to reevaluate what their spend looks like and how they're structured. And I think, you know, we've we've talked about a little bit uh, in a few different podcasts earlier, being an individual in today's digital economy, I think means looking at things in a different way and thinking exactly about, uh, you know, what you're doing and, and being aware of the tools that you're using um, and, and understanding what choices you have. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. So I think we're going to be revisiting this topic for sure. Yeah. Digital self-actualization. That's, oh, uh, I like that. I like that's, that. That's what we're all about here. It's very, so. very, very deep. Maybe that's a, a report we should explore. Digital self. <laughs> that's a good one. Alrighty, my friend. Well, uh, I guess we can call it a wrap here for, for the week. And uh, hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. And we will talk to you next time. Alrighty.